Welcome to Pep Talks, Pepper Jam's affiliate marketing podcast, where we chat with some of the channel's most well-known brands and most influential partners. Today, we're meeting with Lauren Newman, VP of Revenue at Skimlinks. Lauren's publishing career spans more than 20 years, affording her a front row seat to the transition from traditional print-based media to digital and social audiences. Lauren saw the world of affiliate takeover and understand performance marketing in a way that publishers didn't. We'll discuss how performance dollars have never been more important as budgets become more and more restricted while the demand for measurement, performance, and guarantees continue to increase. All right. My name is Mara Smith. Welcome to Pep Talks, Pepper Jam's affiliate marketing podcast that takes a deep dive into brands, unique partners, and industry experts looking to give you the inside story on building brands and marketing tactics that fuel growth for businesses. And I'm Chrissy Kemmer. If you haven't yet, take a beat to subscribe to Pep Talks so you can automatically receive updates on our new episodes. Or better yet, fire off a review and tell us what you think. Your reviews help us to continue to get exciting guests like the one we have today. Joining us today is Lauren Newman. She is the VP of Revenue at Skimlinks, which is the world's largest commerce content monetization platform that helps grow revenue streams that greatly contribute to publishers' overall revenue. Lauren, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. We're very excited to have you here in the Pepper Jam Podcast Center. Yeah, same. Yay, our first in person. <laughs> so, Lauren, we had the opportunity to meet last week, mm-hmm. and we were talking about this podcast, and one of the things that I thought was so interesting and would be worth talking about here today was about your background and your history. You have a lengthy uh, career stint at publishing houses like Condé Nast, Meredith, And I thought you could just start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you ultimately landed in the world of affiliate marketing at Skimlinks. Sure. Uh, Yeah. So as you said, I was in publishing for almost 20 years, uh, so quite a long time. And I I did my rounds at every major publisher. So like you said, Connie Nass, Meredith, Time Inc., Hearst. I did a cup of coffee at Reader's Digest and even at American (laughs) Media. So there was almost no publisher I didn't work for. Um, but you know, when I started in the business, it was really obviously a print driven business. Right. And so this was before we even had digital, we even had dot com. And so over the years, obviously I watched the business evolve and move from a print based audience to a digital audience to a social audience. And it's exciting. It's like a front row seat. Yeah. And, uh, it was just great to see the evolution of the business, but it was also a lot to learn. And it was also a lot for publishers to catch up on and evolve. And I don't think every publisher evolved quick enough and fast enough. And so I think the world of affiliate really kind of took over um, and understood performance marketing in a way that publishers just didn't. You know, publishing was built on brand awareness and those big, you know, brand awareness budgets. Uh, But those budgets are getting thinner and thinner and and harder and harder to find because marketers today, I'm sure you know the stat, you know, there's a a new CRO or or CMO in charge every 18 months. Um, That's really the length of time they have to prove out performance and change their business. And if they can't drive sales, despite that they're marketers, uh, they're out. And so performance dollars are never more important. And so in my most recent experience at Time Inc., I was president in the beauty category. And that involved all media. But as those media dollars became more and more constricted, 
you know, they kept asking for a lot more measurement, a lot more performance, um, a lot more guarantees. Sure. And that's not necessarily something we could have done in media um, in a really smart way. So Skimlinks was actually a major partner to Time Inc. And affiliated all the commerce content across the Time Inc. portfolio. And so I got very close to that team to really understand how commerce uh, could live in the same space as these brand awareness budgets and created a product that we could actually bridge the gap and still have those big you know, media display units and print dollars, but also drive uh, performance marketing through content. And it really got me interested in the space because I think having the proof in the pudding <laughs> right. uh, is what every major brand is looking for. I agree. Now, if I had to go back and ask you to give me I don't know anything about Skimlinks, let's pretend. Sure. If you had to give me a 30-second elevator pitch Mm -hmm. on Skimlinks, what would you say? So I always say it's what publishers should have done since the dawn of time. It's it's monetizing their editorial recommendations. So it's providing a customer service to their consumers that if they're going to be recommending products through their content, they should be linking to those products or those merchants who sell those products. And what we do is we add invisible tracking behind that link so that they can make a commission on those sales. So it's actually getting paid for their recommendations. So it's not a huge technical lift for the publisher. No, not at all. Uh, we have a very simple piece of technology. It's a simple line of code that sits on their sites. And in fact, the editors don't even have to hard code links or do any development work. They wow, just have to great. literally link to the merchant or the product that they're recommending. And we add all of the technology behind that link. So um, it makes it super simple for them. But then they also get paid on their recommendations. I mean, you watch the influencer marketing segment go nuts because all of these 16-year-old girls in their bathrooms, as I call them, (laughs) uh, you know, got to start making millions of dollars just by linking products on Instagram and Facebook. When publishers, who I consider to be the OG influencers, they are truly the original influencers in the space. We're making recommendations for years and never getting credit for it. And so what better way for them to make money, diversify their revenue stream, and actually get credit for the influence that they drive to their consumer base than, uh, you know, using our technology to get credit for those sales. You're right, because they're top quality content creators. They're exactly. They're really focused on the other side of it. And they're unbiased. And, you know, especially um, compared to the influencer world, which I think consumers are getting very savvy that it's all pay for play. And they don't trust or believe those recommendations anymore. I I don't. Who would you go to? You go to an unbiased editor who actually tests and tries all the products and is there to just tell you their honest and, frankly, researched opinion. That's right. Um, And that's that's a way better recommendation than um, an unproven, you know, person who decided to just get paid for this. Right. Right. So it seems like affiliate marketing and the publishing editorial world are a very hand in glove natural fit mm-hmm. but the uptick of the publishing houses to actually adopt affiliate marketing was relatively slow yeah um why do you think that uptick was so slow yeah so there's always the debate of church and state right and um it's something publishers and editors battle with a lot. Um, How unbiased do they want to be and are they versus what they get paid for? Right. right. And there's a very fine line. And there's there's a feeling that if editors start to get paid on those recommendations, well, then are they actually unbiased? Um... 
my feeling has always been editors should make their natural recommendations. They're not being influenced by those recommendations. They are not being told to make those recommendations. They are still 100% editorial integrity against the things that they decide to recommend to their consumers. Sure. But why not get paid to do it? Um, you know, if if you're actually driving people to merchants to buy products, you know, I know, you know, Parachute is one of your biggest merchants. If you're introducing this brand to a consumer base of 100 million Americans and you're getting consumers to buy these products and right. promote them organically, why shouldn't you get credit for that? Yeah, and it's an age-old concept, affiliate is, right? When you think yeah. about it. People have been word-of-mouthing forever exactly. and not getting anything for it. And this is just a way to monetize it, which is formalizing it as a channel. Yeah, and I think if you're actually conducting a totally unbiased editorial review, mm-hmm. then what's the harm in driving to a brand or to a site that you've given an unbiased, honest review of, exactly. even if it's not positive? Yeah, exactly. Right, right. You could still monetize that content and you're still yep. providing value to to those brands by directly referring traffic to their site. A hundred percent. And I think that's truly what unbiased means. Right. It's, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right. Um, but you're you're providing that that service to your consumers. And so I think it's never more important. I mean, and outside of just the commission that they make, the analytics that they get is also really imperative because um, for so long – editorial was only ever created by gut and instinct. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it was what, you know, an editor woke up today and decided they want to write about. And that that may work, but it also may not. And they never had analytics to show, you know, top page views, top clicks, top conversions, top revenue to actually prove whether that gut instinct was what their consumers wanted. And so I think so much of affiliate marketing for publishers has also been lifting the veil on the actual performance of their content. More of a science. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, and I think there's, there's a, there has to be a mix of art and science for sure. They can't, they can't go too far in one direction. That's right. But having the data to back it up. Like we had, um, we had an interesting publisher um, who is in the health and wellness space and they were doing you know content on the top 10 spring dresses to buy. And one of those top 10 dresses happened to be plus size. And when they actually looked at the analytics on what link was clicked on the most, they saw that the plus size dress by far beat every other link on their page. And so it was an interesting nugget for them to realize, well, guess what? Yeah. Maybe your consumers are interested in plus size clothing more than you expected right. them to be. And so they actually create an entire nav bar on plus size and has become a huge revenue driving moment for them. Give them what they want. Yeah. So I think the performance side of it is not just about the revenue that they make. The trackability but the, factor. The trackability factor and the data that they get from that to be able to actually inform their editorial strategy. Really cool. That is really cool. Do you think that the publishing houses or companies um, also shied away at the use of affiliate marketing at first because of some of the stigmas or perceptive beliefs that they might have had about affiliate marketing to begin with? I think that, you know, I've been in the space for 13 years and have had to deal with Um, perceptions and misconceptions about Mm -hmm. affiliate marketing Mm -hmm. being uh, shady Mm -hmm. or a little dodgy. And I think that's... Misunderstood. It's just... Misunderstood. Absolutely. I think that's still something that we're battling today. Do you think that that, those sort of misconceptions also uh, jaded 
content publishers from fully adopting and embracing affiliate marketing. Sure. I think there's definitely some of that. I mean, you know, I think it's no secret that there's a perception that affiliate market marketing is is driven by a lot of these shady coupon companies or or less, you know, above board kind of companies. To yeah, be honest, that's the perception, right? That's the perception. And obviously, you know, we are not in that boat. Pepper Jam or Skimlinks is not in that boat. And we are very above board and transparent in how right. we operate and the, the people that we work with, the data that we provide. But certainly, I think there's there's an element of that. But to be honest, I don't know that that was the biggest hurdle. I think, to be honest, it was a lack of education. Um, right. I think most publishers didn't even think of this as a revenue stream. You know, remember, for a long time, publishers made 100% of their revenue on media, right? right? And media is a very lucrative business. The margins are pretty fantastic. But that is getting a much more challenged every day, right? For a long time, publishers built their business on print revenue, which was amazing. Once that started to decline, they shifted to digital. Then Amazon, Google, and Facebook came on the scene and started taking, you know, they're taking 85% of the dollars out of the marketplace. So every major publisher outside of the big three are fighting for 15% of the pie. There's not enough money to go around. And so I think when this light bulb moment happened for publishers that they need to shift to digital, they need to shift to video, but there's probably not enough money to support them in that space they need to find alternate revenue streams. And right. So, and they're also battling the rising cost of doing business on those platforms. Yeah, every 100%. Day. Like, you know, everyone, the pivot to video, right, is the um, is the catchphrase that gets so much slack in the business. But it's very expensive to pivot to video, right? It's not a, sure. it's not a cheap proposition. And it's also now become very commoditized. So, you know. And it's the, still the devil you know. So you're still going to have to commit to it a little bit, right? I mean, you're going to, but now you need something to help finance that. Right. And so I think, you know, the major initiatives that publishers have been looking at as alternative revenue streams, e-commerce, number one, um, experiential, number two, licensing, number three, and then new media, right? So podcasts, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality, those kinds of things. But, um, the best and easiest way for them to make money is on, is with something they've been already doing organically, which is writing content. So the other things that they're looking to do in terms of alternate revenue streams take a lot of infrastructure and take a lot of commitment and investment to do. This doesn't. Right. So I think there was just... Um, just a little education. Yeah, an education factor and then the comfort factor on church and state. You know, we still hear from a lot of, especially our news-driven publishers, you know, we work with some of the top news-driven publications, like, especially in broadcasts, like ABC and NBC, you know, there's... Big names. Big names, yeah. There's there's still a concern there if they're a news-driven publication, you know, do they start to lose credibility with their audience if they're also, you know, promoting bed, bed linens to, to buy? Um, and our, our retort is always, whether you're a news-driven publication or not, your consumers are still shoppers. Right. So they're going to buy from somebody. Why not buy from you? Right. And why not buy from the brands that they trust and they know and they come to every day? Right. So Skimlinks works with a, a wide audience of content publishers. Your your reach is across 60,000 plus yep. publishers yep. that are all premium content. Um, why don't you just tell the listeners like a few of the names outside of the news broadcasting uh names that you just dropped like yeah who are some of the other publishers sure so we really grew up in what we call tier one publishing right so uh the biggest and most iconic brands really around the globe so that includes people like Hearst, like condé nast like refinery 29 new york media um gear patrol 
all of Verizon Media Group, which now includes Yahoo, Huffington Post, AOL, Engadget. Uh, we work with Apartment Therapy. We work with Jet Setter. We work with, I mean, really- These um, are all household names. All household names. And I think big brands, big brands that have multiple uh, domains and sites, those that are single sites. So we really do work with everyone across the board, but those that are producing premium content. So your reach across consumers, I mean, this is very assumptive, but you can reasonably, in hearing those names and thinking about the content that consumers consume every day, Mm -hmm. your network or distribution of publishers is probably reaching the average everyday American um, and globally. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'd say anybody who has a mobile phone or a computer, we reach, right? Uh, I always joke that probably the only people we don't talk to are babies. Um, (laughs) But I mean, when you think of some of our biggest publishers, you know, Condé Nast and Hearst each have, you know, 120 million footprint, right? So that's just two of our biggest publishers, let alone, you know, Yahoo has 100 million on their homepage. So we... We truly speak to every American, and then we have a a really global footprint. So we're actually a UK-based company. So we have a big uh, foothold in Europe, and we're also expanding into the APAC region, and we're opening our first office in uh, Malaysia by end of year. Congratulations. Yeah, really exciting. So you joined Skimlinks after your career in uh, publishing. So... You probably weren't there for this, but it sounds like you were there right at the cusp of Skimlink starting to be widely adopted by these publishing houses. Mm-hmm. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about how Skimlink helped Skimlinks helped break into these publishing organizations to get them to adopt? Like, was it easy? Was it an uphill battle? Mm-hmm. Um, there had to be a lot of selling to do across, mm-hmm. you know these publishing houses. Did you hear the same concerns over and over and how did you overcome Yeah, a lot of the same concerns. Also, the interesting thing about commerce is that there's no uh, one, you know, model fits all in terms of where it lives in publishers. So the first thing is really like, uh, you know, investigated, investigating where it lives because it's very different across the organizations. It could be sometimes obviously in the digital organization. Sometimes it can be in a new business or, or right. de- you know, business development organization. Sometimes it ladders up to the CRO. Sometimes it's controlled by editorial. So your conversations are very different depending on where it lives is, is the first thing I will say. Um, but yeah, I mean, Skimlinks had a lot of the publishers on board before I arrived, but certainly we have recruited a lot since I've been on board. But I think, like I said, it's a lot of education. Um, It's a lot of also getting on these publishers' tech roadmap because there is some development work that they have to do in order to monetize um, their links. And so, you know, publishers have a lot of engineering needs and resources and long list of things that they need to do across their company. So it's it's being able to get onto that rotation and it's also um, just educating them on how to use the platform because we we have set up our platform to be super user-friendly and very self-service, but it's still a very overwhelming space, especially if editors are using it or, um, you know, business leads are using it. It's like a whole new world. Right. So we do a lot of training. Um, we do a lot of education. Um, we, we do a lot of uh, merchant introductions so they can hear directly from like some of the people that you work with on how this space works, how they feel about it so that they they basically get a comfort level from all sides. Are the, I'm curious to know, outside of the big names that you've dropped, mm-hmm. um, in in looking at Skimlink's distribution, are there any particular content publishers or destinations that are stand out as being super interesting to you and they're doing something very different? That no one else is doing, right? Yeah. In that? 
Yeah, I mean, there are, there are some publishers, um, like BuzzFeed, for exa- for instance. We work with them, um, but we work with them on a smaller capacity because they've done a lot on their own. Um, they, you know, have become leaders in basically the branded content space, but they have really merged branded content with affiliates. So everything that they do uh, on behalf of merchants and advertisers, they also track and monetize. So I think right. that's a really interesting business model. They, they've really mastered that space. Um, we actually hired a chief editor from Gizmodo. Um, again, we also work with them, but on a smaller capacity. They have created Kinja Deals, which is like a daily domain that just pumps out deal content. They've, they've really built that consumer habitual behavior, and they've become a destination for consumers to come back and constantly look at that. Um, you know, for publishers, we're always recommending them to figure out a deals-based strategy because um, we know savvy shoppers are always looking for that bargain. And knowing that coupons take 90% of last click out of the marketplace and get credit for that, we're trying to get our publishers the most amount of credit for their content. And so if they can become a destination for deals on their own so that their consumers don't go searching for coupons or offers outside of their own platform – they can they can really drive a lot of revenue. So we always look to brands who have been able to build that consumer behavior because it's not an easy one to form. But if you can crack that code, it can be very lucrative for you. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things I think that's that's really interesting um, about skim links is your sub affiliate. Mm-hmm. Des- content des- monetization destination. And so you have this wide net of publishers, 60,000 plus. What are some of the marketing initiatives that or tactics that you deploy to continue to grow uh, that reach in terms of content publishers? Because yeah, B2B, too. what works the best? B2B marketing is, is tough. Yeah, so it's a different animal. What have you sure. found that that works well. Yeah, to be honest, we don't do a lot of B2B marketing. Um, we are very organic and very word of mouth. You know, we are the leaders in our space. So in sub-affiliate, we have the largest share of voice and share of market, uh, really with the, the largest publishers. So a lot of times they find us organically. Um, we do go to trade events. So we sure. are we are present at some of those and, and publishers find us that way. But we also, we've made our .com basically an entire resource guide and destination so that publishers can sign up on their own uh, through our website. And we do have a very manual approval process. So to be honest, we're not necessarily looking to get bigger. Uh, we're looking to get more quality. So we are constantly constantly monitoring the publishers who apply to our program. We do have an entire team who looks at every single website of those that actually apply to be part of our network, and only about 30% get approved um, oh, wow. because wow. we're really trying to keep our network as premium as possible. And so we don't just want quantity, we want quality. So scale, we already have it. We're not necessarily looking to scale more. You're looking to refine. A home, We're looking home. to refine and to and to keep up the integrity of our platform. Um, and you know, I'm sure you guys know in the space, there's not always uh, a plethora of, of integrity uh, in in the publishing space. So we have to really monitor that to make sure that we are only working with the best of the best. Yeah, quality content certainly coveted. I I think. And, yep. and everybody's looking, and they're after that. And I I think for a large part too, it's changed the perception of what affiliate is because. 
you have deal sites and coupon mm-hmm. sites and loyalty sites, but then you do have heavy hitting content sites. Yep. And so much of that is connecting with with an audience that was already carefully curated, mm-hmm. already built. So you're just going in and kind of tapping into that. Exactly. So, and and that's what these, with the big names that you work with, advertisers as well, that's really what that formation is about. Yeah, well, because the best publishers attract the best consumers, right? And so that's who all of your advertisers and merchants want to work with. That's right. Yeah, the advertisers are looking to get with the best publishers yep. who's going to do the best for them, not exactly. necessarily who has got the biggest following who doesn't pay attention. Right, and doesn't convert, and right? Doesn't convert. So you need to you need to reach a qualified audience who has spending power and who's actually buying directly from you. So that's it's right. not just about finding as many publishers in the world as we can. It's about find that, finding that qualified audience. If we shift gears just a little bit, because now I'm, I'm thinking about all these, it's, everything sounds great and everything makes so much sense. But from a marketing perspective, what, what seems to be challenges you face daily just from your own, you're looking through your own lens now. Yeah. What's something that keeps popping up and you're just like, oh God. Yeah, if you so, just remove this this obstacle, I'd be golden. <laughs> yeah, so I think there, there's two things. Um, so we are not a network ourselves, right? right? We are what I call an aggregator of all the networks. So like we that. are a piece of technology that sits across all of the networks to make a single UI and single dashboard available to publishers to access all affiliate networks and all advertisers in one single login. Cool, that's important to know. Yeah, and I think a lot of times um, – there's that misperception with the affiliate networks. Uh, we've been very lucky here with Pepper Jam. You guys are great partners to us and you really understand how we work and how to best work with us. That's not always the case. Um, some affiliate networks see us as a competitor. And so I think we have to do a lot of education just in our own space right. to show that we are not competing with you. Um, we actually don't work with any advertisers or merchants directly. So we are not a competitor. Um, We can only work with an advertiser if they are in an affiliate network. And so I think that's a really important message to get across to our partners because we want to make sure that we act as partners and don't compete because there, you know, there's nothing for us to to take from you. So right. I um, can see that being a thorn. Yeah. So daily. I think that that's always been uh, a little bit of an obstacle, but I think we're getting there. And I think um, the other obstacle, which is helping us get there, is data transparency, um, because the way that we uh, come across inside of an affiliate network is just as one single publisher called Skimlinks, sure. and that doesn't give advertisers the granularity that they are looking for on a domain level detail to really understand who's driving performance for them. And so we've done a huge initiative this year on a transparency project to get all of our domain level detail and performance into our network partners dashboards. That sounds like a huge lift. Yeah, it's a huge lift, but it's the best thing we've ever done, to be honest, because I think it's one providing so much value to our network partners. Right. They can do a lot better analysis for their clients. And two, I think it gets clients to really understand how to best work with us and who to optimize with us. Um, so we're working with you guys on that project. And so we're really excited to have kind of what we call the big six in the US of the affiliate networks uh, go through that process and have it hopefully done by end of year. And that, elim- that should eliminate um, or resolve any sort of feelings that brands or advertisers might have around skim links 
you know, in that quote unquote black box factor. Yeah, That's certainly not exactly. the case. You right. guys provide all of the data. You're making it available yep. in scalable, automated way through the through the networks and platforms. Yep. So, you know, yep. there should black be no box hesitation. is a dirty word for us. Um, we when we hear that, we're like, oh God, you don't understand how we work. Um, and and we need to do a better job in servicing our data because the last thing we ever want is the perception that we are a closed platform, right. a black box, uh, someone who doesn't provide data because it's the exact opposite. Um, we feel super confident in our um, in, in our legacy, in our space. And so we are happy to provide that level of granularity. To Pushing our, to, for it. Yeah, exactly. To our merchants so that you fully understand where the performance is coming from and who's driving it because it only helps us have you work better with our publishers. That's right. Yeah, I think that that's really great that you guys are willing to push the boundaries there and be a pioneer and, and as a sub-affiliate providing that transparency because not every sub-affiliate partner is. Some right, of them right. And I'd be cautious types. of those that, that, that aren't. That's right. <laughs> and I think that that's doing the whole in- affiliate industry a disservice because Agreed. that's one of the stigmas that we're trying to eradicate is mm-hmm. any feeling of black box or... That's right. Um, just lack of transparency that yeah. marketers today demand. crave and desire. Yeah, yeah if yeah. not demand. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a question actually. I I keep thinking about sixty thousand publishers and how how the breadth of that and how communications when mm-hmm. you're communicating with these publishers. What do you do to make sure that you keep that that line of communication as a as a writer? How you keep that communication open? Have it sound authentic? Have it be valuable? And keep the line open in a two-way dialogue with 60-plus thousand publishers. Yeah. So we try to make our platform really user-friendly so that anyone, whether you're a tiny blogger in Germany or you're one of the biggest publishers in the United States, you can get the same level of detail on what's happening in the marketplace, what offers are available, and what sales are coming up from our advertising partners. Um, But certainly, we can't communicate with all 60,000. That's just – it's an unrealistic expectation. So we actually – have two tiers of publishers. So we have what we call our managed publishers, which really are those tier one publishers. So the biggest names in the business, um, the ones who are creating original content on on a daily basis and whose strategy we can get really close to, to help connect them with the right folks, um, the right advertisers, the right merchants, and the right networks. And so we have daily communication with them. They have dedicated account management support. And we're super close to what's happening on an editorial calendar front. Oh, that's um, great. You know, big initiatives that, th- that are happening so that we can communicate from the publishers to the merchants. And then the same on the other side. So we have a, a merchant team as well who's constantly talking to both you guys as well as to your clients directly just to understand you know, big uh, launches that are happening, big sales, big initiatives, things that we also need to communicate to our publishers so we can try to marry them together. Right. It's Um, a lot of moving parts. It's a lot of moving parts. Um, And outside of the manage, we have what we call our self-service publishers. So that's the, that's the onboarding through our .com where we do the manual screening to accept them into our program. But they really just download our tech and they make money in the background and they're super happy. Um, And I'm sure they have resources they can download and they can look up and and Yes. And they have the exact same access to the publisher hub that like Kanye Nast does, for oh, instance. That's great. So they have the same level of transparency and detail that any one of our largest publishers have. They just um, operate more independently. That's great. Level playing field. Yeah, exactly. We are one for all. So one of the things that I'm curious to hear from you on, well, let me, let me back up. So per, the Performance Marketing Association, it's a, a trade association that I'm a part of, Pepper Jam is a part of. 
And we recently did a uh, study across the U.S. on performance marketing. And one of the things that we found as a result of the study was that um, in terms of publisher types that received the largest percentage or share of spend in the full year 2018, the I think what surprised a lot of people was that content and bloggers uh, had the largest share Mm -hmm. of spend at 39% of spend that took place in the U.S. was allocated to content and Mm -hmm. bloggers. And um, I think based on my experience, one of the thing, one of the reasons why that might be the case is there's been this shift to brands want to spend with content publishers, Mm want to spend with sub affiliates because they have a large uh, content reach. I think that's partially due to the fact that it's unbiased, yep. um, like like we talked about, but it's also because it tends in some cases to be more upper to yep. mid funnel. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you have the opportunity as a marketer, as a brand to reach more uh, new customer yep. audiences. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just curious to hear from you. Do your publishers, uh, do they ever talk with you about their ability to drive um, – new customer conversions mm-hmm. or their ability to drive higher lifetime value for brands that they partner with. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have a lot of uh, merchants who only want to pay on new customers, for instance, or registrations um, or subscription services. Yep. So um, our publishers are very familiar with that and they know how to drive that. So, you know, we work with a lot of the major subscription services like Blue Apron or even Hulu. And so they're constantly writing content that entices new customers to sign up. Right. Um, And so I do think that they see themselves both as an upper funnel brand awareness platform, but also a lower funnel conversion mechanism because they can drive that that enticement and and link directly to those those brands to to drive that conversion. Um, And a lot of them also look for exclusive codes. Um, from some of those uh, merchants who want to only drive new customers because they want to get the credit for it. And right. so if they can if they can prove that they can be that conversion platform and they have a special code to do so, they're really keen. So they want to own the customer journey from very top of funnel all the way through to the point of conversion. Yeah, absolutely. I right. mean, you know, just uh, as, a, as an interesting anecdote, I always talked about how publishing was the original direct-to-consumer brand. Right, DTC brands now are so in vogue. Right, everyone oh, totally. wants to own the customer. The first person who ever owned the customer were publishers because they had magazine subscriptions. Right, they knew who you were, where you lived, how much money you subscription made. Subscription business. Yeah, I mean, how many children you had in the household, where you shopped, what loyalty cards you had. They are the direct to consumer business, so they want to get the credit for that That's a great and point. prove and prove that they can touch that consumer today and have them convert tomorrow. Really interesting. So anything that you, anything since you have entered the affiliate marketing space that has been surprising to you? Oh, I mean, there's a lot. Um, (laughs) I guess uh, the volume. (laughs) Um, Okay. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. You know, even when I talk to friends and, you know, we talk about major brands that they shop at all the time. They're like, wait, but does that brand do this? I'm like, yep. Every brand has an affiliate program. So you're educating your friends. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I think it's just interesting. I think it's such an unknown consumer business. 
um, that oh, sure. friends don't know about any of that, right? I mean, they they all they just don't know what go- it's like the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, no, going. exactly. And then like when I when I talk to them about how publishers are using us, they're like, oh wow, that makes so much sense. But like I would never know as a consumer. And so I think it's just really interesting how many people are actually involved in the space, and yet it is such an unknown entity to the end user. One hundred percent. Um, so I think that's been kind of really fascinating, and just the 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 volume of innovation as well. Um, you know. Every publisher is trying to innovate as fast as they possibly can, but affiliate is heads and shoulders and and surpassing them on a daily basis. I feel yeah. like there, every day there's a new player, there's a new solution, there's a new ad tech product, there's a, there's a new tracking mechanism. Like there's just something new to keep up with every day. If we had to paint broad brush strokes, and I asked you what you what your predictions were for the future of affiliate, if you had to say, I think that here's where we're headed, yeah, here's what we're gonna see in the next two two to five years. What do you think? I mean, I think like most businesses, only the strong will survive. I think it's been such a bifurcated business uh, across so many different types of players, types of solutions, and I think especially for publishers, since it's been such a nascent space, they've almost been willing to test and try with anyone. Um, And even those that are completely unproven, which is fascinating for me, especially with some of these biggest publishers who are like very mature businesses, that they will rely on and onboard an entirely unproven entity just because it's new. And so much of an investment. Yeah. And I think it's risky. And I think I think it will stop. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's interesting to always hear about new entrants in the space. And it's always it's interesting to, you know, keep ahead of the curve and learn about new technologies. But there's a reason why people have been in business for 11 years like us. And there's a reason why we work with every major publisher across the globe. Um, And so I think a lot of those small names and those new entrants to the space that, you know, overpromise and underdeliver um, will fall to the wayside. Yeah, I would have to agree. I'd say that's true. It, what about one, comp- I'm getting two questions for the one, but what about one key, what one ingredient to the magic sauce of what makes it all work for you? If you just had to sum that, that magic up into one word, what, what word would you use? <sighs> Uh, future of content. Uh, you know, I, I <laughs> three I, words, three words. I know. <laughs> accept, I, accept it. Um, content. Content. Yeah, I mean, content is king and quality. Yeah, I mean, con- I think content will always win, um, and quality content is always queen. Because so always, yeah. yeah, I think um, quality matters. Content matters, and who you who you take your content recommendations from matters the most. Yeah. And that's always been true. Isn't that what's fascinating? That's before affiliate, before digital for that matter. That's always been true. Yeah. You don't have quality content. You have, a, you have nothing. Yeah. And I think I think consumers are getting savvy. You know, like when they type something into Google and they see, you know, 25 pages of search results, they look for brands in those URLs that they know. And they're only right. going to click on the ones that they're like, you know what? All right. I, I trust this site. So I'll I'll find out what they have to say about this That's topic. That's 100% accurate. You Why know? waste my time? Whereas I think a couple years ago, whoever was number one or two always won. And I think that's not necessarily the case anymore. I think brands matter. I think recognition matters. And I think trust matters above oh, trust everything 100%. else. Savvy beats lazy every yeah. time. Yep. <laughs> 
Okay. So where can people go to find out more about Skimlinks? Where would you direct them to after hearing today's interview? Yeah. So skimlinks.com. We have a pretty comprehensive website. So we have information there for publishers. We have information there for merchants. We have tons of case studies. We have blogs about things that we're doing. Well, naturally, your content monetization platform. Of course. Yes. Um, And we have tons of guides on how to get started. So that's definitely the best one-stop shop for anyone who's interested in what we do. Okay. Skimlinks.com. And we're going to do a lightning round, rapid round, firing off questions. Uh, So Lauren, tell us, what is your daily go-to read? Newsletters, content destinations. What is it? People.com. People.com. Okay. Uh, Do you prefer Instagram or Facebook? Oh, Instagram for sure. I'm almost entirely dormant on Facebook. I'm with you. Okay. Uh, How about this one? TikTok or YouTube? Oh, I mean, my 13-year-old niece would definitely say TikTok, but (laughs) it's just noisy to me, so I say YouTube. Okay. And if you were a content publisher, what would you write about? Shoes and spas. Wow. I can get into that. I'm your number first subscriber. Yeah. Literally my life. Yeah. Lauren, thank you so much for oh, joining us question. today. Oh, go for it. Most important question. What's your favorite cocktail? Uh, I have my own cocktail. Oh, what is uh, it? It's called the Newman. And it's uh, St. Germain Champagne and Tonic on the Rocks. It's delicious. Give that it sounds a go. amazing. That I sounds one right amazing. Now. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, Lauren Newman, everybody from Skimlinks, thank you so much for listening to Pepper Jam's podcast, Pep Talks. Join us next time and check us out on pepperjam.com. Thank you. Thank you so much. We just spoke with Lauren Newman, VP of Revenue at Skimlinks, about how commerce can live in brand awareness and budgets and bridge the gap between big media and display units and print dollars, but still drive performance marketing through content budgets and create a sort of performance-based revenue to offset the traditional media costs. You can check out the full podcast plus many more by visiting us at pepperjam.com forward slash podcasts. 